All right, so it is uh, October 23rd. It is 2013. Our message tonight is called Struggle. Turn with me to Romans 15. Say there when you are there. Do y'all like worship? Come on, man, that's like I asked Buddhist. Do y'all like worship? Okay, there we go. I want to make sure you're with me. No, no, Romans 15. It's every other week I preach on Romans 11. (laughs) In Romans 15, starting in verse 18, follow along with me. I will not venture to speak of anything except that, anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power and signs and miracles uh, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I'd like you to think about that for a minute. From Jerusalem to Illyricum. Uh, If you could take out a map, which if I thought about it, I'd have had one for you up tonight. We're talking about going from Jerusalem all the way to about where Albania is today. Guys, that's without a train. That is without, um, that's without a plane or an automobile. You know, this was mostly on foot and by ship. And listen to what is more astounding that he says next. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Before we get any further, he wants to go to Rome, but he has a compulsion to go where the gospel has not yet been preached. And apparently, he's not been to Rome and the gospel's already made it there. So as much as he wanted to go, it could not take his highest priority. This is where it gets interesting. Verse 23, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I will plan to do so when I go to Spain. I'm going to Spain where I don't think the gospel's been preached, and I just so happen to pass through there. And by the way, I didn't come see you because... See, the thing is, I want to preach where the gospel's never been preached, but now I've preached everywhere in these regions. There's nowhere left. So I'm going to head towards Spain. And on the way, maybe I can stop. Can you imagine being able to say that? Look, I want to acknowledge up front, Paul had a unique mandate. Okay, we all have a mandate to take the gospel to the world. But his is special. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet, look what he says to these Roman Christians whom he had Never met. Verse 25. No, 24. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them material blessings. If I stop here, we'll preach all night on that, and it's not our topic tonight. But you have a debt to Israel. 
So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together, come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Can you imagine that the Apostle Paul wrote you a letter and said, I know we've never met. See, the thing is, I don't have time to come see you because my job is to preach the gospel where it's not known and you already know the gospel. But since I finished that job, I've preached it everywhere in these regions. There's one more place on the other side of you I want to go. And I guess it's okay that I stop in to see you on the way to fulfill that mandate. Would you say his mandate was pretty important? His call is pretty important. Did you hear the invitation of verse 30? I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul had a calling that was unique. All of you have a calling that is unique. But Paul was smart enough to invite other people into his struggle for the gospel. What an honor to struggle in the gospel with someone like Paul. Have you ever asked somebody, hey, man, uh, look, would you, would you pray for me? Oh, yeah, dude, no, no problem. I'll pray for you. And you never have any idea whether they did or didn't. And you never went back to them and told them how it turned out. And if you did, they're like, why, why are you telling me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been praying. Real Christians see each other's struggles, the ones that come out of that born of God mandate. And we join together in prayer for each other. And in this way, you get to celebrate success with those who are completing their mandate. And you get to share in the trials with those who are carrying out their mandate. He invited the Roman church to join him. How many of you have a calling from the Lord and you know what it is? Who have you invited into that calling? Who have you said, this is why I'm put on the planet and I would appreciate it if you would pray for me. Paul took responsibility for what God called him to do. He called it, he said, join me in my struggle. Do you hear those possessive pronouns? He wasn't saying, you guys need to do this for me. He was saying, I want you to join alongside me in prayer. I need you to take this before God every chance you get because I have a couple of concerns. You know, today we ask people to partner with ministries financially. And just so that it feels better. And if you can't, you know, do that, you feel free to pray for us. But people don't really mean it. What they want is your money. He didn't ask for money from them. He valued the prayer more. Now, I bet if they were the kind of people that prayed for him regularly, then they probably contributed to his needs. Yeah. See, when you teach people who they are in Christ, you don't have to teach them how to act. That just comes natural. When you have to tell somebody how to wake up and put on their shoes, how to put on their uh, gear, how to strap on their chin straps, 
What happens when the whistle blows is probably because they're not actually a football player. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to teach somebody how to act if they know who they are. Paul simply invited them into a struggle. How about this one? Turn with me to Ephesians 6. I'm also strangely encouraged that Paul called it a struggle. Have you ever had the thought that these guys were so spiritual, so powerful? So, I mean, Paul spoke to people and they were blinded. <laughs> Paul spoke to a woman who followed him around for three days talking uh, by the influence of a demon. And he cast it out with a word. You know, Paul stood up to whole crowds in Ephesus. You could think of Paul so much larger than life he didn't need help. But he acknowledged what God had called him to do was a serious struggle. And then he listed for them two burdens that were every day upon his heart. You can go back and find out what they are. I think most people share them. Are you in Ephesians 6? How about this? We have a unique struggle that could be called mine, but we have a community struggle. In Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Who takes their stand against the devil's schemes? You do, individually. Now hear verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms we find out that when people have an individual fight but we join together in community it becomes our battle i'm not called to do what michael is or what cody is or what joel is but as we join together in a community whatever they're called to do and whatever i'm called to do becomes our struggle it's not just theirs alone because god interlinked us he called us to work as a community of believers. And who is our struggle against? It's against these spiritual powers and principalities. Now, one way to join in that is by prayer. But the best way to join in it is for every believer to take their stand. See, when Brent does his calling, it makes it easier for me to do mine. It, it may not, that may seem illogical to you. But let me ask you something. Would you rather be on a team of 10... Well, let's say a team of 11 with uh, 10 who, who didn't want to play or 10 who did. See, what happens to us is we're encouraged as we see our brothers going after it. As we see that J.J. can knock down a giant, it makes me think, you know, maybe my giant's going to fall today. It is a community struggle that is built of individual callings. It's not so simple. In America, we call this uh, my personal savior. No, you have a personal checkbook. You don't have a personal Savior. The Savior that you say is personal, Titus says, is the Savior of the world. So how personal is that? And yet he is personal because he saved you personally, didn't he? We have individual callings that mass together in community. Can y'all say amen to that? Let me just talk to you for a second about mine and how you got here. The living God called me to start a church in Sugarland. Now, how do you do that? Well, I mean, you could get an almanac and find out which place was the most prosperous, which one wanted a church the most. You could find out where there were no churches. That was Paul's method. 
You could send out surveys if you needed to and ask people what they wanted in the area. You could be the Waffle House Church if that's what they want. You know, as silly as that is, there are churches that are doing that very thing. What would you guys like in the neighborhood? We can be whatever you would like us to be. That's not how this church began. It began with a mandate from heaven that said something to me fairly simple. It said, I will make you like a magnet. And your ministry will draw the precious metals of the earth to it and the precious gems. And I want you to polish them for my service. So by definition, what we're doing here will always be about what you are going to do out there and in here. Always. As time has gone on, he told us to start one life at a time. And then he expanded that to a family at a time. All you people started getting married. Come on, say you people. You people started getting married. Then we started going to the nations, one nation at a time. But we are still essentially doing the same thing. Now, that is not Dustin's calling. But Dustin's calling joins with mine. And we begin to do this together. The P. Rose and the Stevens have different callings that were put together for a single purpose. And we work in covenant. So the community of believers is made up of individual mandates that have learned how to work together to accomplish it. You, would you rather work alone or together? See, that probably largely depends on your past experiences. I've worked with Christians with canine teeth, man. They're supposed to be the sheep of God and they got bloody mouths. Going it alone means that all the devil has to do is knock a single figure off and the whole ministry fails. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. We don't need any more Protestant popes. We don't need single figures raised up as the example. It's unbiblical and it's unwise. What happens when that one guy gets off of his mandate? Everything crumbles. We need to figure out what we are called to do and how that affects the community around us, meaning the community we live in and the community we worship in. And the more we do that and we join together in it, the more momentum it begins to pick up. I never told anybody that we needed to go minister to the homeless. I just polished stone. Matthew just polished precious metals. People who were already called of God, but now they were embracing the reality of the kingdom. They were being propelled into the presence of God, and he was giving them their individual calling. Now, as we join together, all of us doing that, it becomes a shared struggle. Turn with me to Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, pick up with me in the 20th verse. Say there when you're there. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, that, that's a run-on sentence, and if you're an apostle, you're allowed to do that. Don't get lost in it. Paul is considering whether or not he's going to remain alive or die. And he's praying that he has sufficient courage to face whatever he has to face. Is that, somebody say that's real. These were not supermen. They were regular men, anointed by the Holy Spirit of God in a supernatural way. He's praying that he has sufficient courage. 
For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. Now, is Paul schizophrenic? No, he's writing his heart's struggle. He's telling you, I want to go home with my Lord. It has been a long, hard road. But when I look, I don't just have a responsibility to him. I have a responsibility to you that flows from my responsibility to him. And I think it's probably better for you still if I remain. He said, I'm torn. But since it's better for you, I'm convinced I'll remain. Nothing about his life was motivated by what was best for him. In our individual callings, we can't get confused. We can't begin to think that you have such a mandate from the Lord that your job is to do what's best for you. This kingdom goes around on the currency of mercy. It goes around when we actually believe it is more beneficial to do what is best for our brother than for us. And God will fulfill his purpose in you. This leads you to look for ways you can serve in other men's ministries. It, looks, it leads you to look how you can be a stepping stone for someone else because you don't believe that your calling comes about through your careful performance. You believe it comes about as the God who gave you that calling performs it in you while you do his will. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here, that I still have. What began as an individual calling in a man became a shared community calling. They joined with him in the struggle by praying that he complete it. They joined with him in the struggle by standing with him doing what God called them to do. So that as Paul is making ready for his departure, he could look at a congregation of believers he raised up and said, I can see you have the same struggle that I had and still have. Guys, the Christian walk is a struggle from beginning to end. It never stops. And when you're not struggling with satanic forces, you're struggling with your own flesh. And when you're not struggling with satanic forces or your own flesh, you're struggling with someone else's flesh. If it was easy, God would not have called you to do it and put his divine presence in you to do it. But it does become easier as we do it together. 
I am so proud to not be alone in Sugarland anymore. And I can confidently tell you that a long time before any of you were here, Jennifer and I were laboring, hurting, and praying. And when things began to move forward at a more exponential pace is when the Pharaohs got here. And the reason is one may chase a thousand, but two will chase 10,000. The reason is, although Matt's calling is to propel people into the presence of God, and mine is to bring them into the reality of a kingdom, those two callings standing together began to form a community and an example. And they're different. How different are they? They're as different as he and I are. He's dark and lovely. I'm fat and bald. <laughs> but the more we began to do them together, the more other people went, oh, I kind of get it. This is how you work in tandem with people. And God has been drafting you from around the country because he has a work for us to do, a struggle for us to share in. We all have a common enemy in the heavenlies. It's important that we see this as a shared struggle or else what you do is you elect leaders to do it for you. And then you sit back on your salvation and grow old and fat and nearly miss the kingdom, if not miss it altogether. Because you paid some holy man a holy fee to stand up in holy clothes on a holy day and tell you a bunch of holy garbage. We're just trying to keep it real in the house of God tonight. <laughs> Turn with me to Hebrews 12. So we have a unique calling. That's your individual we have a community calling, a community calling that we begin to share our struggle with each other. And then there is every person's universal battle. Say there when you're in Hebrews. You'll be in Hebrews 12. Now, if somebody listens to this online, I'm thankful that I have no responsibility for whether or not they understand it. But I do care very much what you think because God sent you here. The reason we can do that thing that we did in worship, y'all know what I'm speaking about. The reason we can do that thing we did in worship is because this pastor can personally say what it is to be entangled in sin. Not from a distance, from watching someone else's life, from my own. I know that it is not as simple as you get born again and then you just inherit heaven. There is an actual battle that the Bible calls a struggle. And you can be entangled in it. And Peter even says, overcome. We'll let you work that out with your theology. I'm saying that we have to help each other in that struggle. If you walked out of this building and saw Judah trapped in a net and somebody was trying to drag him off, you wouldn't be Judah's friend if you didn't go cut that net up, huh? Or take that guy out. Or at least follow him at a distance and say, you can get out of this, Judah, you can and encourage him. I mean, you can't say, well, it's just none of my business. That's what the devil is doing. You ever thought about where were Achan's friends? You know, he couldn't have been standing there in that battle alone. Where were his friends when he began to look at that gold and silver and think he could take it? Where were they? See, a man who stands alone is completely corruptible. I do, did not 1980 through mid-90s show us that? I mean, I'm not going to walk through that. It's a shame. But 
Those of you that your hair is turning gray like mine, you got to know what I'm falling out altogether, right? You got to know what I'm talking about. Huh? You have to be able to read between those lines. A giant name on a sign and a giant crash. We have to rise as a community. You cannot do this as individuals. It just is a great big target and men are fallible. That's why you need to make yourself accountable to your brother. And if you can't listen to the brother that's on your left, get four or five more. If you can't listen to them, you're a fool. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Proverbs 12, put Proverbs 12, 1 on the screen and then I go back to preaching. We can all just gaze at this for a minute. Is that okay? Provided that it's coming. There we go. Let that sink in. What's that last word up there, Judah? I was told we weren't allowed to say that in church. That person apparently had not read their Bible. <laughs> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is... He who hates correction is... Y'all don't be ugly in church. It's not ugly. It's a fact. It's a fact. We need to surround ourselves with a community of like-minded believers. Some will say, oh, Eric, you know, man, you guys are cultish. Do you mean there's something the cults are getting right? <laughs> what do you mean by that? You mean we actually act like a community of believers that have a responsibility to each other? You mean that we actually are so fanatical about Jesus that we would give our lives for him? Do you mean that we take, because all you sound like is you're describing us as first century Christians. What kind of church do you go to, ma'am, sir? Do you know the people that sit around you? Do you feel any responsibility to them? Do you interact in any kind of way? When's the last time you had dinner at your pastor's house? I believe that church is supposed to be exactly like it was in the Bible. What does Matthew 18 tell us to do? If pastor's having a hard time or if Judah's having a hard time, go to him. Keep the matter just between the two of you. What happens if that doesn't work? And what happens if that doesn't work? When do you ever get to see those things done? Why, is it in an obscure book? Is it, is it hidden somewhere? It's in the first book of the New Testament, friend. Why do you not see it done? Because they don't live in community with each other. They don't really care. When you really care about people, you feel a responsibility to them. And when you feel a responsibility to them, how can we sit on our hands and do nothing? I think we've been too scared to offend. We've been too scared to do it the Bible way. I found out there's nothing more offensive than watching somebody die and saying nothing. Anybody like to go back in time and fix the Holocaust? Anybody? If you had been there, would you have spoken up? I mean, wouldn't that be your hope? For evil to prevail, the quote of the day, for evil to prevail, good men just have to do nothing. That's so sad. Do you feel a responsibility to the people on your left and right? Do you? Yes. Need to. Your success depends on their success. Paul knew that. He solicited prayer. He joined them in the same struggle as him. And here is Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Easily for some... Easily for young men, easily for the women, easily for all men. 
Did you hear him say, let us throw off the sin? Us? Not you. Not singular. In America, we want to get everything right in private because we're so full of pride. We would hate to think that somebody knew we didn't have it all together. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the community of Jews worldwide. And he said, let us throw off the sin. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you hear the plural words? Us, us, us. It's not enough to take care of you and yourself. It's not enough to make sure you finish. The Lord of glory spoke to me couple times in my life, but one of them was at a men's meeting. It was not this last one that was our reloading event. It was four years before that. You have to imagine my surprise. I'm in prayer, seeking God. He says, Eric, I know that you will die for your vision. Doing pretty good so far, huh? But I want you to die for your brother's vision. How do you take that? What do you do with it? It is the heart of the gospel, though. If you only die for what you can accomplish for Jesus, that in itself is idolatrous. You've made your calling bigger than the body of Christ. But if you'd gladly give your life so that your brother reaches his calling, now Jesus is the biggest thing in the body, isn't he? See, Christians have made a fine example of what idolatry is by making sure we have the biggest steeples, by making sure we have the biggest name, and we're doing it all for Jesus. The best thing we could do for Jesus is show what the actual community of God is like. What would, you, would you go to a church where they sold all their possessions and gave to the poor? Would you go to a church where they shared everything they had? A church where when they prayed, the very ground shook? A church where Peter's shadow was healing people? A, a church where they were often in prison, but also just as often angels broke them out. Who wouldn't go to a church like that? Well, then let's build it. I'm 13 years in, and this thing's still not how we want it to be. But it's getting there. It's getting there because you're, you're doing it. You're doing it. I'm, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't know how much more Matthew and I can do. Not because we're overworked. Not, blah, blah, that's not what I'm saying. We have a limited set of skills. Matthew's got 90% of it. I've got the other 10%. And we're doing everything that we know how to do. And many of you are starting to join right alongside of us and carry out your calling. You say, well, what can I do in the church? Do what God called you to do. And because he brought you to the church, I'm trusting that it's a shared communal call. And the more that happens the more the reason that life-changing ministries is on the earth will become clearer and clearer and clearer. Next week, I go to Washington, D.C. to see a church that Brother Zeke is planting. Do y'all feel good about that? <laughs> By the way, Brother Bosch is going to preach next Wednesday. So bring a friend. We're going to do everything that we know to do. We have to do it together as much as possible. Okay, There are some who come and they hang out on the outer edges. It's okay. They'll slip in eventually. But if they never do, then they will never know the purity to which you can walk this race out. Because Christianity multiplies itself exponentially when you do it with other people. 
why he didn't call one disciple and perfect them at a time. He called 12 men. It's why when they got filled with the Holy Ghost, he didn't send them out immediately. He had them live in Jerusalem in community together for almost 10 years so they could learn how to do it. And then he scattered them to go build their own communities. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against every man has a struggle against sin. Every single human being, and it's called your struggle. He didn't say ours. It's yours. I cannot win the battle with sin for you. And it would be sin to try. You have to win your battle with sin. And then we join together against those spiritual principalities. And we join together to go do the work of God. But sin entangles. We can help each other throw it off. You can point it out. You who are spiritual can restore someone gently, but at the end of the day, your job is not to be the policeman of the person next to you to make sure that they have not sinned. Every human being has a battle with sin, and you have to win it. And in this battle, it's not over. Not for any of you, not for me. You know why? You haven't shed your blood yet. You're not dead. Jesus completed his battle with sin by giving his life without sinning. As long as you are in this life, you will have that struggle. You have to win your battle. And we, us, have to throw off everything that hinders us. How do you balance those two statements? It means that when Gabby's doing everything Gabby can do, you help her any way that you can. But ultimately, she has to do it. This is also perfectly in line with Galatians that says uh, that we help each other with our loads and we carry our own loads. You know, what a confusing statement. <laughs> you don't let anybody drown, but everybody's supposed to carry their own cargo. Saints, do you want to win? Do you want your brothers to win? Do you care whether or not the Volants finish with glory? I mean, do you, do you care whether or not they meet their calling? Do you care whether or not the Adarmes actually end up with those children God called them to have? Do you care what John and Joy finish their life as? See, I care. And the more we do that, and the more we join in prayer with each other, the more we engage each other, the more we look in each other's eyes and do everything we can to help and join in each other's struggle, the stronger we all become. The Spirit of God is calling this out of us. Do you know how I know it? Because everybody is struggling. If you could follow me around for a day, and where's JJ? Are you JJ? Poor JJ's trying to get a little work out of me here and there. He uh, he's got a big remodel, and there are a couple things that you know uh, I know how to do, and, and what I don't know how to do, Matt knows how to do. Imagine that. The difficulty is, God called me to be a pastor. And so I'm trying to pastor while I'm trying to plumb and while I'm trying to do electrical and while we're trying to jackhammer up tile and, and all of those things. 
And the pastoring is my priority. And J.J. understands that. But if you follow us around for a day, what you find out is that in a body, we can't ignore the struggles of each other, and we also cannot expect each other to win the other person's struggle. Matthew and Eric Stevens are not super pastors. We never will be. We might not even be good pastors. We cannot win your battle with sin. You have to do that. You have to press into the Lord, and you have to do that. And if you do, and as you do, we can join right alongside you, and so can every other brother in here, and your walk becomes more and more victorious. And the more we do that, saints, it actually gets glorious. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Forgive me, I can't find it. There we go. I just discovered the book of Colossians in my Bible. Colossians 1 and verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Whose energy is at work in you? The energy of Jesus Christ. Where is the struggle then? Struggling with all of it. Is anything hard for Jesus to do? No, not at all. I mean, he is the ultimate. He speaks to a mountain and it moves. So where is the struggle? What do you mean struggling with all of his energy, which so powerfully works in me? Struggling to let his energy work in you. Struggling not to lean on your own arm. Struggling to not do it the hard way, to do it the righteous way. It's a struggle. Can we all say that sometimes we just think we know best? Anybody out there try it seven or eight times a way that would not work because you're sure it's the best way? Yeah, me too. Like despite all evidence to the contrary, this has to be it. For no other reason than I already said it was it. <laughs> We have to let his energy work in us, saints. Now, let me ask you. Sometimes it's harder to see it in us. Can you see in your brother the energy of Christ working? Have you watched the transformation that has happened in Justin Treaster in the time that he's been? How long have you been here, Justin? He loved Jesus before he got here. But he's going to a whole new level while he's been here. Is there anybody who disagrees with that? You remember when Bob Cook first walked in the church? Bob, I'm going to tell on you. Bob walked in the church because he was kind of sweet on Lynette. That's why he came to church. We were not into missionary dating. They were both in love with the Lord, and they thought their first date should be at church. That's a good practice. But that's why he came. What's happened to his life since then? I'd say he's gotten pretty wrapped up in this community gotten pretty wrapped up in Jesus. He has it had an effect on your life. Has Bob's life affected your life? Well, yeah. See, that's how this works. You need to stop and ask yourself, what would my life be like if I didn't meet these people? See, now, I'm not exalting the community above Jesus. Jesus is the builder of the community. 
The only reason that you love the people that are in this room is because you love Jesus. And they love Jesus. And he'll even make you love some that don't love Jesus. And it begins to make life something that's truly exciting. What we need is his spirit working in us. I want to show you a couple verses in Psalm 73. And we're going to move fairly quickly because I don't want to keep y'all late. I can preach forever. Although, were y'all proud of me? I caught a 47-minute sermon Sunday. That, that is, for me, that's a sermonette. Okay? Don't get used to it. No more sissy sermons. The truth is, is I read an amazing scripture. I thought it was wonderful. I kind of thought it spoke for itself. I didn't want to cloud it with a bunch of other things. It's John 8, 31. Are you on Psalm 78? By the way, I do not know how pastors have a service that is from worship to the end of the sermon, 59 minutes. I, I, it takes me longer than that to pray over the meal. The wife is uh, it's getting on to me here. Okay, so uh, Psalm 73. I said 78, but I meant 73. Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant, and when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are always healthy and strong. Boy, isn't that tempting. Sometimes you look and you see other people are not laboring to do the things that you're laboring to do. Why don't you just jump on down to verse 16 with me. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God and I understood their final destiny. Saints, you can struggle now with God. Struggle now with man. Or you can live at ease, acting as if God is not there and you have no responsibility to your fellow man. You can do that. But the eternal life for you is going to be a pretty big struggle. I want to fight this battle now. I want to be on the victorious side. Can you say amen to that? And I'm pretty sure that I wasn't meant to do it alone. Miss Jennifer's in the hospital with her mama. Miss Suzanne, we're going to pray for her when we close here. She's back in the hospital. That's a struggle. You know? She didn't want to go sleep in the hospital at night, but she refuses to let her mom be alone in the hospital. That's admirable, isn't it? My family misses Jennifer. My little girl sits in bed, and she loves her daddy, but it's not the same. You know? Gabriel lays in bed, and it's, it's not the same. Just a few days. But our family knows when a member is missing because we're family. I want you to consider that the devil has spent a lot of time trying to make you feel like you're alone in this body. You don't fit. You don't belong. And nobody would notice you if you're gone. If you're a member of the family of God, 
We miss you when you're not here. Our callings are hindered when you're not here. We are missing a part of the body of Christ when you're not here. If you're not here, let it be because you saw a brother struggling and you wanted to help him in his calling. Don't let it be because you just wanted to take some time away from the struggle. Because where does that leave your brother? Hmm? Do you know we have special promises given to the overcomers in the Bible? How many of you have been in the Monday night Bible study with us? Have you enjoyed the book of Revelation? Man, the seventh chapter of Revelation is something. Who was there for that one? Shut it down. He will spread his tent over you. Oh, man, I don't even have words for it. There are promises given to an overcomer. Could we put Genesis 32, 28 on the screen? And then I want to show you promises as we close this service. The way that we win this struggle is we have all his energy laboring inside of us. Here's the result of doing it that way. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. What's Jacob mean? Supplanter, deceiver, trickster. Your name will no longer be sinner, but will be Israel. What's Israel mean? Prince with God. Your name will no longer be deceiver, but prince with God, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Understand the living God intended for you to struggle. He never intended for it to be easy. He actually put frustration in the earth for you to struggle against because it reveals where your heart is, where your desires are. It shows what you're made of and shows your very great need for him to remake you in his image. And he does. When he sees a man struggling with God and with men, he changes that man from a deceiver into a prince with God. That is his promise. He will change you. Brother Charlie showed me a picture today. It was, I don't know if it was a church sign, what it was. It said, life did not come with a remote. Get up and change yourself. Susan, do you have that other picture? Matthew and I were on our way to Pasadena this morning. Strange things happen in Pasadena. Can you see in that upper right-hand corner of the screen? Somebody has managed to wedge their black four-door sedan into the overpass about 20 feet off the ground. Is that amazing? Police had not arrived. Good thing we were there to take pictures and post it on Facebook. <laughs> Actually, there were, it was a woman, and she was, she was just fine. She, uh, she was complaining. I think it was the pavement's fault. Nobody told her it was on that angle, you know. <laughs> you know, she was just going to work or going somewhere. She didn't ask for that struggle. And we can point and say she did it to herself, can't we? But how many times have we just run our life right into the same kind of problem and it's just as laughable when you look back at it. I love doing marriage counseling with people and telling them about the early years of our marriage. We fought about the funniest things. They were so stupid and we almost got divorced over it because we were stupid. Praise God, you didn't give up on me and neither did he, huh? 
When you overcome in these struggles, there is a beautiful crown in store for you. If you want to write these down, I'm going to read them to you in the King Eric version. Meaning I'm going to paraphrase them. Revelation 2.7. Susan, we're going to be in Revelation from here on out. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Hey, what is it worth to be an overcomer? You get to eat from the very tree of life. And you have a right to it. Come on now, Christians have no rights. But if you overcome, you have a right to the tree of life. Because the King of Kings is going to give it to you. How about Revelation 2.11? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What a promise if you struggle and you overcome because his power is inside of you. Then you cannot be hurt by the second death. They can strike down your body, but your soul will live forever. They can strike you down, but you will rise in a glorified body. They could burn you alive and feed the pieces to sharks. But that's all they could do to you for an eternity. You'll be in a body that never dies. Third promise to an overcomer, Revelation 2:17. Man, is this one beautiful. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Oh, man. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Hidden manna. He's going to let you see into his very presence. Manna was the bread that fell from heaven and fed the people in the natural realm. Jesus is the true manna that comes from heaven. And when you eat of him, you never go hungry. He is able to feed you with revelation knowledge from the heavens and you will never go hungry. He'll write your name on a new stone, write a new name on a white stone. What is that at this time and in this town? That white stone was a symbol that you were healed or that you were pardoned or that you had been accepted as a dignitary into the games. What's he going to do for you? He's going to let you taste of him in a very special way. He's going to heal you, pardon you, and give you a seat with the dignitaries in the heavens. Revelation 2.26, fourth promise to the overcomer. To him who overcomes and does my will at the beginning. No, what's it say? To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. What is at risk here, friend? You refuse to struggle if you simply hang it up and say it's not worth it. Then you do not get to rule the nations. But to the overcomer, you rule the nations with the living God. How about Revelation 3, 5? Fifth promise to the overcomer. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. To be dressed in the deeds that you did in this life. The white raiment are the righteous acts of the saints. 
What is your struggle worth? It will clothe you for eternity. That's what it's worth. What does it mean to join in your brother's struggle to get in the fight? It will literally clothe you for an eternity. Your deeds will speak of your former actions. Your clothes will speak of the actions that you had here. And you'll be acknowledged before the living God and the angels. How many of you would like a clean white garment? This is not Breck League. They don't just hand them out. You have to get in the fight. Revelation, the sixth promise, Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name, a permanent fixture in the house of God. What is it worth to struggle? There's a day when the struggle will be over and you can't be removed from his presence. You will be a very part of the building that houses his presence. His name will be upon you. The name of the city, the wife of the lamb, the new Jerusalem, it will be upon you. A permanent fixture in the presence of God. How about the seventh promise? It is maybe my favorite. Revelation 3.21, and it's our last for the evening. Why do we struggle? Because to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. See, Jesus Christ has a struggle. He said in the Gospels, I will confer upon you who have stood by me in my trials a kingdom because one has been conferred upon me. Here, he says in Revelation 3, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus took up the father's struggle. And he succeeded. So he gets the father's throne. If you take up the struggle of Jesus, you get Jesus' throne. That's why Ephesians 2 says that you are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 also says he prepared good works in advance for you to do. Guys, it's too important to leave it to any one of us. It's the work of all of us. Joel has a calling. Spencer has a calling. Nolan has a high call of God. Now we join with each other and we finish this race as a community. You know, when Israel crossed into the promised land, every single Israelite crossed. When they crossed the Red Sea, every single Israelite crossed. You have to make it to the New Testament church before you can say, well, I don't care, I'm saved. Of course, you have to wonder if a man who says that's saved. I want to cross into that celestial kingdom set up on the earth with every one of you and a bunch more that aren't here yet. It's our job to go get them. Amen? Amen. Can we stand to our feet?